0: Yes, page 746, Luke 22. Now the Feast of Unleavened Bread, called the Passover, was approaching, and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were looking for some way to get rid of Jesus, for they were afraid of the people. Then Satan entered Judas, called Iscariot, one of the 12. And Judas went to the chief priests and the officers of the temple guard, and discuss with them how he might betray Jesus. They were delighted and agreed to give him money. He consented and watched for an opportunity to hand Jesus over to them when no crowd was present. Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Where do you want us to prepare for it, they asked. He replied, As you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him to the house that he enters, and say to the owner of the house, The teacher asks, Where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He'll show you a large upper room, all furnished. Make the preparations there. They left and found things just as Jesus had told them, so they prepared the Passover. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table, and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. But the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine on the table. The Son of Man will go as it has been decreed, but woe to that man who betrays him. They began to question among themselves which of them it might be who would do this. Also a dispute rose among them as to to which of them was considered to be the greatest. Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. You are those who have stood by me in my trials and I confer on you a kingdom, just as my father conferred one on me so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. But he replied, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny three times that you know me. Then Jesus asked them, when I sent you without purse, bag or sandals, did you lack anything? Nothing, they answered. He said to them, but now if you have a purse, take it and also a bag. And if you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one. It is written and he was numbered with the transgressors and i tell you that this must be fulfilled in me yes what is written about me is reaching its fulfillment the disciples said see lord here are two swords that is enough he replied
1: well shall we pray gracious heavenly father thank you so much for this passage of scripture We pray that as we consider it now, that our eyes would be opened by your spirit, that our hearts would be changed, that we would live lives that are worthy of you. We pray the same for the children in Sunday school, that uh, they would be well established in the great and glorious gospel of our Lord and Saviour Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. The American election process, I've heard it described as free entertainment for the rest of the world, because it takes so long, doesn't it? It's a year and a half or so, and the the candidates can sometimes be colourful. But it engages the world, because quite frankly, uh, like it or not, the United States is simply so important. Uh, this week has been especially interesting. Uh, some people are rejoicing, other people are protesting, even weeping on the streets, and it because of the perceived power of the President of the greatest nation on earth. Now, I say on Earth, not simply for dramatic effect, but because it is only on Earth. It is only the greatest power only on Earth. Because there is a kingdom which transcends time, transcends geography, transcends politics, and transcends all earthly powers. And as our minds have been filled this week so much with the news from the United States, uh, we need to reset our minds, don't we? We need to recalibrate. We need to refocus on God's kingdom and on the question of true power and true greatness. Uh, In Luke's Gospel, this issue of worldly power has already been raised uh, before we dive into this morning's passage I, I wonder if we could uh, just go back to much early on in Jesus' ministry to Luke's gospel chapter 4 uh, which you'll find on page 727 where Jesus endured 40 days of temptation in the wilderness Uh, temptation by the devil. And uh, we see this in verses 5 and 6, just one of the ways in which the devil tempted Jesus, where in verse 5, the devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor for it has been given to me and i can give it to anyone i want to that is in order to destroy god's plans satan offered to make jesus well, he wanted to offer jesus a, make a better offer to jesus he wanted to offer jesus to be the ruler of a great earthly empire. And all it would cost is what we see in verse 7. So if you worship me, it will all be yours. That's the deal. That's the deal. Uh, You can have all the kingdoms of the world. You just have to bow down and worship me. Now, of course, Satan had no success in tempting Jesus. But did that mean that he was finished with Jesus? Well, the answer to that is clearly no. Verse 13, when the devil had finished all this temptation, he left him until an opportune time. An opportune time. Now, since this this particular incident in uh, the ministry of Jesus, in Luke's gospel, following on from that, Jesus has only interacted with Satan's minions, with uh, evil spirits and so on. Satan himself has gone, gone a bit quiet until Luke chapter 22. For Satan had more than one strategy, to destroy god's plan and now if we go to luke chapter 22 it we're told it was the passover time and jesus is now in jerusalem he's at the very heart the very center of jewish life and and jewish uh, spirituality and jewish power and in verse 2 it is now not just the teachers of the law and the the pharisees uh, who are against jesus now too in the heart of judaism it is the chief priests conspiring with the teachers of the law and the temple guards who were now keen to destroy jesus to get rid of him but they had a problem didn't they Uh, jesus was popular And so what they needed was an insider, someone who would help them to arrest Jesus quietly uh, so that other people wouldn't notice, so that there would be no uprising. What was this time for Satan? This was his opportune time. And so in verse 3, Satan makes his move. He entered... Judas. Now we're not, it's not spelt out for us how that happened, uh, but what we do know is the result. Uh, Judas was already a greedy man, wasn't he? And remember when there was a lady who poured a jar of perfume on Jesus' feet in order to anoint him, and Judas got cranky about that. He said, Look, we could have sold this uh, perfume and given all the money to the poor, but He actually wasn't interested in the poor. Um, Judas held the purse of the disciples and Jesus, he was the the treasurer, and he had his hand in the till. He was a thief. He was already a thief. And he may also have been disenchanted. uh, Disenchanted that it was starting to become apparent to him that Jesus was not actually setting up a great earthly kingdom where he might have some power and authority. And so uh, he was he was disaffected. This was now Satan's opportune time. And where Jesus had stood firm, Judas would fall. He decided to cash in and his price 30 pieces of silver. In the Old Testament, that was the price you had to pay uh, if you killed someone's slave. It was the price of a slave. When he came to do the deal, we're told that the religious leaders, they just, they just couldn't believe it. Uh, they, they rejoiced uh, in, in him coming to them. But it's worth remembering what Jesus once said When he asks, what does it profit a man when he gains the whole world and yet forfeits his soul? Judas had craved after wealth. He had craved after security. He had craved after the glory of this world. And yet he wasn't alone. For in their own ways, so too did the other disciples. Uh, The scene now changes in verse 7. In verse 7 we read that uh, then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. And Jesus sent Peter and John saying go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Now uh, in Jerusalem at Passover time the place was chock-a-block full of um, pilgrims who'd come in order to celebrate the Passover, and some of the residents of Jerusalem would actually open up their homes, make their homes, rooms in their homes available, so that uh, people from other places could actually celebrate the Passover. Uh, here, we it seems that Jesus has already made some arrangements. Uh, he knew about the conspiracy which was against him, and so the venue, it appears, to be secret, uh, possibly so that he would not be arrested whilst he was sharing the Passover meal. Not even the disciples knew where they would be sharing that meal until following the instructions of Jesus, uh, they met the man who was carrying the jar of water, which was a bit unusual because usually men carried water in, uh, in bags. It means that Judas could not inform the conspirators of the location of the room, that room where the worldly aspirations of, of all of the apostles would actually be revealed. Now you've probably been watching stuff on the news this week about the <clears throat> transition of power in the US. Did, did you see the shots of Barack Obama and <clears throat> Donald Trump, in the Oval Office, did you see that? You gotta hand it to the Americans. They can be so gracious, so wonderfully gracious uh, when they need to be. Um, But if you look, strip some of that away, you could tell it wasn't exactly relaxed, was it? (laughs) The words were gracious, but the tension was palpable. Well, imagine the tension in this room, which we call the upper room. Uh, Judas is disaffected. Judas has switched sides, and Jesus knows it. And here they're sharing a meal together when Jesus drops a bombshell. Verse 21. But the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine on the table. The son of man will go as it has been decreed, but woe to that man who betrays him. For three years, these guys had been living together, traveling together, learning together, ministering together, honoring Jesus together. They were like brothers and so this is unthinkable unthinkable, that one of them should be a betrayer. It's no wonder in verse 23 that they were questioning, they were wondering, which one of us could it be? Fair enough. And yet, notice how quickly in verse 23, their conversation, their table talk shifts from the question of who would be the betrayer to the question of which one of us is the greatest? Did you notice that? Now, it's not the first time that this topic has come up. Uh, earlier on, uh, you may recall that two of the disciples, James and John, along with their mother, uh, as they uh, m- travelling with Jesus, had gotten alongside Jesus, and they made the other disciples cranky because they sort of got alongside Jesus, and they said, hey, when you come into your kingdom... Um, how about you make one of us your right-hand man and the other one your left-hand man? (laughs) The other disciples were cranky because, well, they would have liked a shot at the title as well. (laughs) What did the disciples crave? Honour and glory for themselves in an earthly kingdom. Now, before we point the finger, it's worth our while just reflecting on to what extent you or I would have been any different. Um, because it's the very, the very nature of sin that, that we are self-centred. Uh, that is that our, our lives revolve around ourselves first, others second, and, and God last. Um, these days, uh, there are products which are even named by the marketers... In order to appeal to our self centeredness, have you noticed how many products, how many devices, and cars uh, are named with a name which begins with the letter I? I kind of like my iPad, actually. Um, I understand that there's now a bank which is called Me Bank. Me Bank. How about that, eh? Appropriate in a sense, it's all about me. These, of course, are just handy illustrations of the the me-centeredness which goes all of the way back to the Garden of Eden. Uh, The me-centeredness which has alienated us from God and is the source of the problems we face in our world and in our lives. But here in the upper room, Jesus takes that value system and turns it on its head. Verse 25. Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. <laughs> He's saying that uh, there are people who, they, they might appear to be generous, they're giving money away, but uh, they kind of want others to know about the fact that they're giving money away. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest. Uh, The youngest had no say in Jewish families. And the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is, uh, but I am among you as one who serves? In other gospel accounts, Uh, We have the record of Jesus actually washing the disciples' feet. This um, unseemly quarrel about who, who amongst them is the greatest is actually quite ironic given the context because what is the meal that they are sharing together? It's the Passover meal, that annual meal which the Israelites had been celebrating since the time when God... Uh, miraculously and graciously rescued them from their slavery uh, in Egypt and brought them out of that land. Uh, I mean, uh, could you imagine an Israelite family um, having uh, escaped Egypt, uh, having now being emancipated, living in freedom, and sharing the Passover meal together and sitting around having a conversation about how great they are? Could you imagine that? No. They'd be talking about how great God is, what a great saviour God is, and how thankful they are as his people. Now, at Passover, uh, Jews would eat unleavened bread for a couple of reasons. One is that it symbolised the fact that uh, they escaped quickly uh, from Egypt. And there would actually be four servings of wine. It was diluted wine, by the way. Uh, Four servings of wine, uh, each one in order to remember a different aspect of God's salvation. Um, In an Israelite family, after the first cup of wine, a, a little boy would ask, what is the meaning of this meal? Then the family head would tell of how God had saved them out of Israel, how in, uh, out of Egypt rather, how in Egypt that they had slaughtered a lamb and they had then uh, painted the blood of the lamb over the posts, doorposts of their houses so that the, uh, the judging spirit of God when it uh, came across the land bringing death to the firstborn of every household would pass over those households that were covered with the blood of the lamb and thus enabling them to escape from Egypt. Then after the second cup, they would eat a sacrificial lamb. And so this is all about being saved from slavery in Egypt. But on this night, the meaning of the Passover is fully revealed. Now notice that in the whole Um, description of the Passover in each of the Gospels, in fact, that uh, the Gospel writers do not even mention them eating the lamb. Does that strike you as being curious? There's no mention of them eating eating the meat. Um, Now, I have celebrated a Passover meal with with some Jewish friends, and I've got to tell you, you can't miss the roast lamb. I can't miss roast lamb whenever it's served, uh, but particularly uh, when it's served so symbolically. But have a look at verse 19, because here we learn about what, what Luke does tell us that they ate in verse 19. He says, and he took bread, gave thanks and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is for you, do this in remembrance of me. That is, the Passover meal actually now is, is, uh, is, uh, is filled with new meaning uh, because it points us not to the salvation from, from Egypt, but rather to Jesus and to what he would do. That is, Jesus is the lamb. There's actually no need to mention the eating of the actual lamb because the whole thing is about the lamb. The lamb of God. Now, by the way, Jesus is not saying, when he says that this is my, takes some bread and says this is my body, He's he's actually not saying that somehow, mystically, that this bread turns into the actual body of of Jesus. I mean, that's absurd. I mean, his body is still there. And that, in fact, has become an an abominable heresy uh, which has led people astray in all sorts of ways. Rather, what he's saying here is that he is the one whose body was broken and who by his blood we are covered from the judgment of God and saved from sin as Israel was in Egypt for in verse 20 in verse 20 in the same way after the supper he took the cup saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you. Now when the Passover lamb was sacrificed at the temple, the blood of the lamb would be would be collected in a in a in a container and would then be poured out at the base of the altar as a sacrifice for sin. More than that, Uh, In Exodus chapter 24, do you remember when God gave the law to Moses and uh, there was a covenant that was cut between God and Israel? Um, Well, after uh, the law was given uh, and the covenant was cut, Moses sprinkled sacrificial blood, uh, not on the altar, but on the people, so that the people were covered with the sacrificial blood. And as he did so, he he said, this is the blood of the covenant. That is the old covenant, the covenant of law, the covenant which over time Israel failed to obey and led to promises such as in Jeremiah chapter 31 where God promised that there would be a new covenant, a, a covenant where His law would not be written on stone, but rather that his law would be written on our hearts. A covenant where he would remember our sins no more. This cup, says Jesus, is the new covenant in my blood. Now, Satan in Luke 4 had led Jesus to a high place and he'd shown him all the kingdoms of the world saying that uh, I will give you all authority, all splendor for all of this has been given to me and I can give it to whoever I want to. Just worship me and the deal will be done. When Satan tempted Judas... Judas grabbed it with two hands. The other disciples, well, but Jesus, Jesus had replied to Satan, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Now, serving God only for Jesus would mean suffering the cross as the Passover lamb. in verse 37 in fulfillment of isaiah 53 jesus would be numbered with the transgressors as the judgment of god was poured out on him that we could be forgiven and that by his resurrection that we could enter into the greatest kingdom of all, that kingdom which in Revelation chapter 11, the, the voices in heaven cry out, the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and he shall reign forever and ever and ever. Jesus shall reign. And here in this passage, he tells these disciples, these 12, the 11 apostles, really, that they will reign as well. In verse 29, that the irony here is that they will be granted power and authority, that they will sit as, on thrones as judges, that is, as, as rulers, as leaders. But they will be no longer tainted by sin. In God's new kingdom, in the new covenant, they will serve God and not serve themselves. One of the other things we see in this passage is a couple of times Jesus talks about the fact that he's, this is the last time that he's sharing this meal with them, but he looks forward to another time when, uh, when he will uh, drink of the fruit of the vine in the kingdom. Uh, that he will share this meal again with his disciples and that will be at the great wedding banquet of the Lamb. Are you looking forward to that? Seated around the throne of God with all of our brothers and sisters in Christ, uh, with Jesus in all of his glory. And it's a picture of a banquet of bread and wine and feasting, a picture of fulfilment, and true relationship with God forever. But for now, true greatness would mean the suffering of the cross. The disciples also would suffer. And the reason that the disciples would suffer is because people need to hear about this great news of the gospel. And true gospel ministry uh, is not about um, glory and glamour and fame and wealth and prestige true gospel ministry is actually about spiritual warfare you see satan's opportune time has been used by god to bring about satan's ultimate defeat he has been mortally wounded on the cross but until the lord come again he he's still around and so Jesus warns his disciples of tough times ahead. In verses 31 through to 36, Satan will attack. Uh, Satan has asked that he uh, that he be able to sift the disciples, and Jesus has prayed against him. But Peter would deny Jesus three times. But because Jesus is greater than Satan, well, Peter would be kept safe. He would repent. Uh, in verse 36, there's this curious instruction of Jesus, if you don't own a sword, sell your cloak and go and buy one. And you think, what, what, what's that about? I mean, that seems inconsistent, doesn't it? You know, you're going to need a sword for this, for this battle? Well, uh, Jesus is speaking figuratively. Um, there is no physical battle. The whole point uh, is that this is a spiritual kingdom which must be won. What he's saying here is that there is this, it's going to be tough. Uh, This is spiritual warfare. And when they go ahead and produce two actual swords and say, here, Jesus, we've got two actual swords, Jesus says, that's enough. Stop this kind of talk. They, they They still don't get it. They haven't grasped his meaning. But they soon would. Judas, of course, took his own life. But after the resurrection, it didn't take long for suffering to begin. Stephen, who was not one of the apostles, was the first Christian martyr. But in Acts chapter 12, James, one of of the 12 sitting here with Jesus at the table, James was killed with a sword. And from other sources we know that the only one of these apostles who died peacefully of old age was John um, on the island of Patmos. The others were stoned, speared, crucified, skinned alive, and beheaded because they preached the gospel. They preached the gospel so that others, people like us, people like you and me, could enjoy forever that which was never Satan's to give in the first place. It kind of puts a bomb under our thinking about greatness, doesn't it? Uh, The world says that greatness is about power and prestige and position and title and money and fame and so on in this life. But if our lives are shaped by Jesus, then they are shaped by he who is the Passover lamb, So that no matter what our station in life may be, that we will find true greatness in serving Jesus, in serving God the Father. Doing so humbly, gratefully, sacrificially, as we remember his cross and then look forward To the banquet in heaven the very things which we do when we celebrate together the lord's supper we do not remember egypt we remember the cross of jesus we do not remember canaan we look forward to the great banquet in heaven now here's a fun fact on which to finish i was talking with my son andrew the other day and uh he Told me he was going to a lecture in Canberra, which and the topic was a mission to the moon, to the, to Mars, and uh, establishing a little settlement on the planet Mars. Uh, the one of the guest speaker, uh, one of the guest speakers, was a man by the name of Buzz Aldrin. Anyone know who he is? Yeah, yeah, he was on the first mission to the moon, the second man to put his foot on the surface of the moon, and uh, I wish I could have been there as well. And I I said to Andrew, so, mate, um, did you get a photo of you and Buzz Aldrin? And he said, no, Dad, if you wanted a photo with Buzz Aldrin, you had to buy the platinum ticket, which was $600. (laughs) (coughs) Tempting as that may have been. What was the first meal that was ever eaten on the moon? Communion. Uh, it was bread and wine. Because as Buzz Aldrin, who was a Presbyterian elder, uh, with his feet firmly, with a, with a lunar module firmly planted on the moon, the surface of the moon, looking back at the whole of the earth, at all of the kingdoms and the powers and the authorities of this earth, with all of their splendour and so on, when he got that snapshot he chose to remind himself of a far greater kingdom, a sublime kingdom, one which has been won and is ruled by Jesus. one through the body and the blood. Of the sacrificial lamb. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that it was Jesus's position to serve you and to serve you only, that he resisted temptation for worldly power and was obedient to you even unto death on a cross. We thank you that his death is the death of the Passover lamb and that by his blood that you have cut a new covenant, a covenant of forgiveness, a covenant of your eternal kingdom. Father, we pray for ourselves that we would uh, be purged of all worldly aspirations for greatness in this life. Father, that we would seek only to serve and honour you. We would do so humbly and thankfully as we look forward to the coming kingdom. We pray that through us that many more might join in with that kingdom as we tell them of the blood of Jesus shed for them. We pray these things in his name. Amen.